Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are studying through the book of Proverbs, and we are learning how to apply some of its ancient wisdom to our modern day lives. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time or you've been out for the last few weeks, uh, let me do my best to catch you up to speed. Um, This book, the book of Proverbs, was predominantly written by King Solomon, a guy that the Bible calls the wisest man to ever live. And uh, I mentioned this in the first week, and I want to mention it again because I think it is important that we understand this as we go to the text. Um, Solomon was not called the wisest man to ever live because he had some form of elite education or a whole lot of life experience. The wisdom that Solomon had was the byproduct of divine download. God gave it directly to him. And I say that because it's easy when we read these little catchphrases in these Proverbs to just assume that they're maybe good advice, you know, the same kind of advice you might get from the latest sage or guru in their life hack book. But that's not what this is. These are God principles. These are given to us from heaven. And if we apply the heavenly principles to our lives, most often we will receive the heavenly results on the other side of it. So keep that in mind as we go to our text. Uh, our, our main verse for this series and the theme and purpose for it is found in the opening lines of the book of Proverbs where Paul, uh, Solomon says this. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do, everybody say do, do what is right, just, and fair. That's the purpose of the book. That's the purpose of the series. Not simply to receive knowledge. Knowledge without application doesn't do anything for you. Biblical wisdom is applied knowledge. It's not just knowing what to do, but it's actually doing what is right and just and fair, as Solomon says here. And one of the ways that we've been practicing that, I wanna invite you to jump in with us if you haven't done so already. Uh, We are reading through the Proverbs every single day. Um, I hope that this actually lasts beyond our series, but uh, there's 31 uh, Proverbs in the book. There's 31 days in the month of July. It's a great month to jump in. Today was the 17th. You can read the 17th proverb there. Uh, my, my mantra for my life, and hopefully some of you have picked it up already, a proverb a day keeps the stupid away, and I don't want to be a dumb person. So we just keep reading the proverbs and hope that some of that gets into our spirit and we begin to live that stuff out. Um, and then obviously we've talked about a number of those proverbs over the last few weeks. Uh, we've talked about making sure we have ears that are tuned to the wisdom of God, eyes that see what God sees, and seeing a God vision for our life, not simply some ambitions or some goals, but seeing what he sees so that we can live accordingly. And then last week, as I mentioned, Pastor Jazzy talked to us about the importance of guarding our hearts. Out of our heart flows the issues of life, the direction of our life. And so it's important that we don't leave our heart open to any influence that's out there to to mess us up, but we keep that thing guarded because we know that if our heart is guarded, it will direct us towards God. Uh, Today, in keeping with our unintentional kind of body parts theme, we've talked about ears and eyes and hearts, uh, we're going to look at yet another body part. Uh, Today, I want to talk to you about the mouth, the mouth. Uh, More specifically, as as Solomon calls it in his uh, his Proverbs here, the tongue. We're going to talk about the tongue. Uh, And the Bible has a lot to say about the tongue, a lot to say about the power of our words. In fact, as I was studying this week, I was reminded of how frequently it shows up in the scriptures. And I think based on its frequency, we probably don't give it enough airtime. The way we speak is, is, is very important to our faith. 
It is massively significant in the way that our lives are charted out. Um, and Solomon, among the, the biblical authors that speak about speaking, he probably sits in first place. In fact, in this book alone, he mentions the power of our words or our speech some 99 times in those 31 Proverbs. If it is not the main theme of Proverbs, it is definitely one of the main themes of Proverbs. And so as I was studying this week, it was difficult to like to distill it down to a single scripture that I, I felt like we could focus on today. And so I didn't, fair warning, we're going to see a number of them show up, but I'd like to spend the majority of our time on, on two. I picked the two that I, I believe are the most complimentary and comprehensive when it comes to this subject. I think captured in these two Proverbs is the totality of what Scripture speaks to about the power of our words. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there to Proverbs 12. We're going to start there and then move into Proverbs 18. Uh, but here's a Proverbs 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And then Proverbs 18, 21, uh, you've probably heard this before if you've been in church for any length of time. Uh, Solomon says this, death and life are in the power of your tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Can we read that one out together? Cause it's such a good one. Death and life are in the power of the tongue those who love it will eat its fruit. Those are massive statements about the power of our words. And to that end, he says, your words can cut or they can cure. They can hurt or they can heal. They can bring death or they can bring life. So based on what he tells us, I would like to title this chat today with a question I want to pose to everyone in the room. And hopefully we can answer it before we conclude. And here it is. What do you say? What do you say? What are you saying in your life? What are you saying in your day to day? What do you say? Let, let's pray as we consider that question and jump in. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to speak to each and every one of us. God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you even as we sang out a moment ago that when we speak the name of Jesus, realities begin to shift. Um, and right now, we, we, we remind ourselves of the promises of scripture. I speak them out over this room. You said in James chapter one, verse five, that if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask you for it and you will give it to us. So we ask for wisdom today. Proverbs chapter two says that the Lord grants wisdom. It is a gift from God. So we receive that gift today. Would you show us, would you teach us how to speak wise words in our lives? We love you. We thank you for what you're gonna do over the next couple of moments in Jesus' name. And the Father's house said, amen, amen. Uh, years ago, when Robert and I were still youth pastors, a friend of mine invited me to come and speak at his summer camp for a few days uh, in Albany, Georgia. And if you are unfamiliar with Albany, Georgia, it is like the deep, deep south. Uh, it's where all of the food comes out of a ditch and it's deep fried and most of the people don't have all of their teeth. <laughs> it's that kind of place. I'm just kidding, that's not true. Some of their food comes from places other than a ditch. Uh, but uh, he invited me to come preach at his youth camp in the summer. And I don't know, how many, did any of you guys grow up going to youth camp when you were younger, like summer camp? Man, summer camp is probably one of the greatest things in Christendom. It is one of the best couple of days of your life. I, I have such fond memories of camp. Like, there's nothing like being with a few hundred teenagers up in the mountains where your cell phones don't work and just hanging out in the presence of God for a few days. I, I remember literally spending like 
hours at the altars at the end of services and just crying and praying for people and prophesying over one another. And there's always that moment where like 30 guys are just arms around each other and they're swaying back and forth in the youth camp and staying up till like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, talking nonsense in your cabins. But inevitably at some point, like the whole environment shifts and some guy is honest and transparent about what's going on and it turns into a prayer meeting. Some of the most spiritually formative moments in my life were in youth camps. They're so powerful. But, but one of the things I loved about youth camp actually had no spiritual application at all. Uh, it was the field games at Christian youth camps. There is nothing crazier and riskier than the Christian field games that are out there. If it was not disgusting or if you couldn't break a limb doing it, then it was not church camp. That's how it went down. And I will never forget going to my buddy's camp and witnessing one of the most disturbing games I have ever seen in my entire life. Uh, the game was called Cow Tongue Football. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a bunch of teenagers that line up in football formation. And instead of using the traditional pigskin, they use a frozen one of these. A cow tongue. <laughs> and I mean, you can imagine, I mean, this thing probably weighs like six pounds. You can imagine how much damage this would do to a child as they're tossing this thing around on a field in the middle of the summer. It started out frozen and I mean, people are getting hit in the face and like, you know, the wind's getting knocked out of them as they catch it in their stomach. And as it starts to melt, it's getting slimy and it's slipping out of their hands and dirt's getting all over. I mean, it was, it was absolutely disgusting. But about the 15 minute mark, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> about the 15 minute mark, something magical began to happen. As it was the middle of the summer, so it's like 100 degrees in the deep south and 95% humidity. And so meat thaws out relatively quickly. And this thing, as it began to thaw out, it just started to get longer and longer and longer. And I kid you not, about 20 minutes into the game, this thing looks like a pool noodle. It's like three and a half, four feet long. And they can't chuck it like a football anymore. They start having to throw it like a hammer from the Olympics, you know, like get some velocity behind it. And it just goes like a helicopter across the field as people are catching it. And I'll never forget this moment. It haunts me to this day. There was like a 12 year old girl and she starts running to get, you know, open for the quarterback. And she's like, hit me with the tongue, hit me with the tongue. And so he throws this tongue and like in slow motion, and she, she catches it right here. And as she catches it, it's so long and it's moving with such velocity that it wraps around her body and it comes around the other side and hits her directly in the eyeball. And this girl, this girl, she had a black eye for the rest of that youth camp from a cow tongue that hit her in the face from football. Come on, that is not normal, all right? That is not what we play in San Francisco. <laughs> That's a deep south football game right there. It was absolutely, they had it like videotaped. And so later on that evening uh, at like the, the, the night session, they just kept playing it in slow-mo over and over and over again. You just, it's awesome. Now, when Solomon speaks of the tongue, I don't think he's speaking of its capacity to bring harm like one of these. <laughs> I don't think this is what he's talking about. He was not sitting in the chambers of his palace contemplating the deep spiritual ways of cow tongue football. He, 
he, he probably wasn't speaking about a piece. Of, I'm going to put hand sanitizer on my hands here, okay? Last service, I didn't, and there was so much judgment in the room. It was disgusting. Just stay there for a moment. I kept smelling it on my hand all service last week. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. so, so Solomon's obviously not talking about a, a cow tongue, but I want us to remember that image, and here's why. I, I think the image of a teenage girl getting slapped in the side of a face by a cow tongue and catching a black eye is a vivid representation of the tongue's capacity to bring injury to your life. So Solomon said it like this. He says, the tongue of the reckless, it can cut. It's sharp like a sword. It has the ability to wound and bring damage to your life. And he goes on to say in the 18th chapter, as we read earlier, if it cuts long enough, if it cuts deep enough, it actually has the capacity to kill. It can bring death. And I think that most of us probably at least experientially understand that. I, I think we've probably all experienced the wounding effects of a reckless tongue. We know what it feels like to be sliced and diced by, by the words of another. Your mom probably gave you some advice when you were younger. She said, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words do hurt. They do have the ability to cause injury. And I don't know that you ever grow out of that. I'm a grown man, and, and I consider myself to be pretty mature in the Lord, but I am still at the mercy sometimes of other people's words. They still have the ability to wound. In fact, by nature of what I do for a living, I catch a lot of words, and they hurt, so stop emailing me all of those things. But <laughs> I don't think you ever outgrow that. I think the words of reckless people, the things that are just said, and they think it's passively, they have the ability to cut. As contrary to the, the adage, I am not rubber. You are not glue. Everything you say does not bounce off me and stick to see you. Words stick, words hurt, words cut. But what many of us may not realize is today we are living in the reality of words that have been spoken over us. Sometimes those words that cut and wound, they become the destructive navigators for our life. Uh, I know people, even in our own community, who have an unhealthy appetite for success. They're so driven to get to the top of the food chain, but it's an impure motive because it's motivated by something somebody said to them years ago. Someone said, you'll never amount to anything. And so they spend all their time and energy working late, not seeing their family to prove that person wrong. Conversely, I know people who believed that lie and now they find themselves unmotivated, sitting around doing nothing with their lives because someone said, you're not gonna do anything with your life. I know people who, when you tell them that they look beautiful, that they're pretty, they wince. They have the inability to receive that compliment because for years, somebody told them otherwise. And they've learned to hate the image in the mirror as a result of what somebody said. I know people that, right now are living in the generational curses of addiction and divorce and anger and depression and suicidal thoughts. Because years ago, somebody said to them, you're just like your father, you're just like your mother, you're just like your grandfather. And those words, they stuck, they cut, they became wounds and they navigated their 
lives. Words can cut, they can wound. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that if you were to trace back some of the aspects of your life that you don't like, chances are they started out as words before they became realities. You said some things about the relationship, about the outcome, about the failure, and before you knew it, you began to own those things. But perhaps the most destructive tongue is not the words of another. Perhaps the most destructive tongue is the one attached to the person sitting in your chair right now. It's the one that's in your body, the one speaking over your life. You know, we said at the beginning of this series uh, that the Proverbs are actually nothing more than a collection of potential, not promises. Um, In other words, you can apply biblical wisdom to your life, but it doesn't mean that you're going to live a pain-free life. We live in a broken world with fallen people. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. It's the nature of our lives. Look no further than Jesus to prove that to be true. He had all the wisdom of heaven, and yet he still experienced his fair share of persecution. In fact, more than his fair share of persecution, and he promised you'll experience the same. But I said this at the beginning of the series. When we live with biblical wisdom, we do position ourselves for two things. God's blessing, and we prevent ourselves from what I think is the greatest form of destruction, self-destruction. And I would submit to you that the sword that is doing the most damage to your life is the tongue attached to yourself. It's the one in your own mouth. Nobody has the ability to destroy you like you. Nobody has the ability to wound you like you. No one is more critical of you than you. No one else has the ability with such surgical accuracy to scrutinize all of the imperfections of your life like you do. We are our own worst enemy often when it comes to our tongue. We say things like, my marriage is horrible. My kids are a wreck. We complain about our jobs. We complain about the opportunities that we think we have or the lack thereof. Not realizing that the words that are coming out of our mouth are actually charting the future, charting our destinies. Again, if you just follow back to the origin, I promise you, often those things started out at words before they became realities. However, Solomon tells us here that there is some hope when it comes to our words. Because not only does your tongue have the capacity to harm, it also has the capacity to heal. Not only does it destroy, but it actually has the ability to speak life into existence. You actually have the ability with your tongue. He says, death and life are in the power of your tongue. You have the capacity with this thing in your mouth to speak life into existence. And and I know how that sounds sometimes because we say that all the time in church and we've sung about it. And if you've been a part of church, you've probably heard about it before. It can sound like some hyperbolic Christian catchphrase that we use to like make ourselves feel better or change the way we talk a little bit better. Like speak kindly to your plants and they will grow. And you know, if you put nice words out into the universe then the universe will give them back to, but Guys, this is not fortune cookie theology right here. This is a biblical truth. You have literally been entrusted with the capacity of speaking life into existence with your tongue. It's, it's the truth. Remember, remember uh, how the Bible starts out, Genesis chapter one. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he create it? He spoke. He opened up his mouth 
And he said, let there be light. Let there be a separation between the waters and the land. Let there be plants and animals and all living things. And even thanks to NASA this last week, let there be galaxies. And we have a brand new picture of the majesty of God's creation as a result of his spoken word. But then what did he say on the sixth day? Let us create human beings in our likeness. Let us entrust to humanity the faculties and capacities of the divine. In the same way that I have the ability to speak life into existence, let's entrust humanity with those lips and that power to open up their mouth and to declare realities that had not exist before into existence. Let's allow humans to speak life. Literally, you have the God gift to speak life into existence with your lips. That's why when you begin to speak life into a dead situation, the spiritual environment begins to shift. It's why you can look at somebody who's been told their whole life that they don't matter and speak a word of encouragement and watch their countenance come back. That's why you can look at a child and tell them you're proud of them and in one moment you can see their joy and their confidence return. It's why you can speak to a storm and tell every wave to be still. You can speak to a mountain and command it to go into the ocean. You can speak to sickness and cancer and terminal disease and say in the name of Jesus I command healing. Yes, he's the one who heals but he has limited that power to your words. When you speak, when you pray, when you declare the name of Jesus, realities begin to shift. Why? Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And and if you don't believe me, let, let me take 30 seconds and prove it to you right now. Lest this become some concept that we just sit around and pontificate. Let's put this into practice. Do you know that within a matter of seconds, you can speak a few words into an environment and watch the whole thing shift? I can do it right now. I can look around this room and just point at people right now and begin to speak out the word of the Lord. And in five seconds, this environment, BJ, you're a man of God. Man, I love that you've raised your family in the house of the Lord and that you've got daughters and sons that are sitting here in the house. You are an example to so many men of what it looks like to be a godly father and a godly leader. And I thank you that you've called this place home and you've set that example for so many people. Smart, where are you at? You're a good dad. And you didn't have an example of that, but you're a good father. And your daughter's gonna grow up knowing what it's like to have a good father in the home. And she's gonna marry a good dad. And their kids are gonna marry good dads because you've broken a generational curse with your decision to be a man of God and to lead your family otherwise. Seth and Amy, God's not done. God's not done. I know your season is interesting right now but you're called, you're anointed, you're appointed. There is still a gift on your life that is irrefutable. It cannot be negotiated. And and you need to break out those prophetic words that people spoke out over you just a couple of years ago that you recorded down and you wrote down and you were the targets for a couple of days. You need to remind you, speak those things out over your existence because that's who you are and that's what your destiny is. In a matter of seconds, you can shift an environment. Dylan, man, I am so grateful that you came to the city to plant this church with us. And I know that your wife gets a lot of the praise all the time because, you know, she's loud and boisterous, but you hold her down. (laughs) You're a man of God and you're a man of integrity and you're a man of the word and I'm grateful for you. In a second, your lips can change an entire environment. You can speak life. My my buddy Eric, every single week before I get up here to preach the word, he grabs me like a lion cub from the back of my head like I'm his child 
And he looks me in the eyes and he says, I love you. You're a great preacher. You're a man of God. You're a great friend. Go do what you do. Every single week, he does that to me. And you know what? He does it before I've ever said a word. Before I've ever gotten up on the stage. You know why that's the father? I'm, I'm, I'm way off the notes here for a moment. That's why the father said to Jesus when he was baptized, he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done a single miracle yet. What did he do? He spoke life into his son before his son did anything. It was a directive, prophetic word. It was a word of life over his son before Jesus did anything to deserve it. Your words are powerful. They can shift an environment. So, so let me ask you the question posed by our title. If words are that significant, what do you say? What are you saying in your life right now? And can we just pause and personalize that? Like honestly ask ourselves that question? Because I know some of y'all been in church for a long time. You've been around the block. You've heard this message. You've already tuned out. You're texting. You're looking on Instagram. Don't think I don't see you. <laughs> but, but like, like personalize this. Lest it become just some kind of positive confession sermon. Honestly, consider, if you were to record everything that leaked out of your mouth for the next week or the next month, what would it be telling you? What do you say about yourself? What do you say about your family? What do you say about your children, about your marriage? What do you say about your job, your coworkers, your boss? Let's take it a step further. What do you say about your city? What are you saying about your nation? What are you saying about the bride of Christ, the church that he loves so desperately? What do you say on social media? Because your thumbs are just an extension of your tongue, honey. What do you say? Because whether you realize it or not, those words, they're charting a course for your life. They are either producing death or they're producing life. And if they're producing a lot of death and you don't like what's coming out of your mouth, then it is time to change our speech. Which sounds simple, but I assure you it is not. It is perhaps one of the most challenging things you'll ever do on this side of heaven. James, the apostle, he says it like this in his book. He, he says, nobody can tame the tongue. You, you, can, you can train an animal, but you can't seem to train the tongue, can you? It seems nearly impossible. It's, it's a reckless evil. With one breath, it honors God, and with the next, it curses people. So, so this is not something we can flippantly approach and assume, oh, I'm just going to change the way I talk this way. It's going to take some serious intention. And I don't know that what I have to share in our final moments together is actually going to make an eternal difference necessarily. This is not going to be a cohesive, complete thought, but it's probably going to help you get a little bit better at speaking life. Because I think, honestly, if, if we do these two things, most of the time, we can prevent ourselves from speaking death and begin to speak according to the word of God, speak life over our situations. And as we've concluded every one of these sermons, I'm gonna do the same today. I'm gonna give you two thoughts, both practical and spiritual, because I think taking control of that tongue is both practical and spiritual. So for the note takers, here is the practical one, and I haven't given you much to write down today, but it's all coming right here. If we're gonna be people who speak life, we need to resist the urge to react. Resist the urge to react. I love the way that Solomon words it in Proverbs 12, 18. He says, 
The words of the reckless pierce like swords. The reckless. That word in the Hebrew, it means rashly or impetuously. It's like the knee-jerk response, the immediate response. Here's what I've noticed in my own life. You probably notice this in yours. Often, the most cutting words are uttered reactively. They're the first thing that leaks out in the flesh. It's that knee-jerk response. When, when I do something I, I, I didn't want to do or when I, when, when I say something I didn't want to say, immediately I begin to respond, whether under my breath or in my mind, you're so stupid, why'd you do that? You're not a good father, you're not a good husband, you're not a good leader. That's the knee-jerk response. When, when, when somebody does something we don't like or they offend us, the immediate response is to begin to tell them how much they hurt you and how horrible they are. And it's, it's death spewing out of our lips. And honestly, most of the time it's people we love. We don't want to hurt them. But, but our impetuous reaction causes unintentional harm. And so here is my advice. Very simple, very practical, but difficult to implement. I've done my best to do this in my life. And here it is. Ready? When you feel the temptation to react, take five. Let's call it the five-second rule. All I want you to do is to stop yourself from saying something immediately. Take five seconds and pray. Holy Spirit, I know they're an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. Holy Spirit, <laughs> I pray that you would give me wisdom right now to respond, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Help me to speak life. That's it. I have found that most of the time, five seconds is all it takes for me to change from speaking death to speaking life. Just five seconds of that simple prayer and then something different flows out of my spirit. And by the way, do not be surprised with if when you're taking those five seconds, the Holy Spirit tells you the best thing you can do with your tongue is to bite it to not say nothing at all. Your mama had some good advice. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say, yeah, okay, you know the advice. Actually, you know that your mom wasn't the only one who said that. The Proverbs actually has a lot to say about that as well. And for your own edification, I've even supplied you with a couple of scriptures today. Proverbs 21, 23. Watch your tongue, keep your mouth shut, and you'll stay out of trouble. Hallelujah. Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. I love that one so much. Turns out the wisest person on social media is not the one posting their opinion all the time. It's the one who doesn't say nothing. My personal favorite, Proverbs 13, three. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. And the church said, yeah. <laughs> if we wanna be people who speak life, we need to resist the urge to react. However, this is not entirely practical. Again, James says it's nearly impossible to do. So there's a spiritual element to this that we need to be aware of as well. And if we are going to be people who speak life, then the spiritual reality we must be aware of is this. Our words are ultimately a window into the condition of our heart. Your words are telling you something about your heart. Uh, what did Solomon say? He said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And then he uses this really interesting phrase. He says, and those who love it will eat their fruit or eat its fruit. Eat its fruit. That's an odd phrase. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of something that Jesus said that I think brings greater clarity to this proverb. And um, I want to look at this scripture before we conclude. It's our last one of the day. I'll invite the worship team to come. 
as we get ready to, to close here. But Matthew 12, look at what Jesus says. A tree is identified by what? By its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So, so Jesus, coupled with Solomon here, he begins to tell us that our words are like fruit. And in the same way that a bad tree can't produce good fruit and a good tree can't produce bad fruit, ultimately the fruit of your lips is the byproduct of something deeper, the condition of your heart. Your speech, it is giving you a window into the condition of your heart. If division and hate and anger and contention and argument disbelief, putting people down, complaining all the time. If these are the things leaking out of your lips, it's not a fruit problem, it's a root problem. It's revealing to you that there's some stuff going on in your heart that needs to be adjusted. Which means if we're going to change our language, if we're going to change our speech, it is not simply a matter of trying to clean up our mouths. Remember those Mentos commercials? Dirty mouth, clean it up. Doesn't work in the spirit. Now, you can't just wash your mouth out with soap and expect your words to be clean. Why? Because your words are an outflow of the condition of your heart. This is why David said in Psalms chapter 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. That's why what Jazzy talked about last week is so important keeping our hearts guarded. Why? Because out of our heart flows the issues of life. Out of our heart flows our words. And if there's death in our heart, then we're going to be speaking death out into the world. But when your heart is clean, when Jesus has taken your heart and taken it from stone to flesh, when he's purified motive and sin and all the other garbage out of your heart, you know what you begin to speak? You speak life. And can you imagine what it would look like if a community of people were committed to just speaking life. Could you imagine what your life would be like if you made a decision today to just be a person that speaks life? Imagine what your marriage would look like if you spoke life all the time over it. Imagine what your kids' lives would look like if you spoke life over your children. Imagine what your destiny and your job and your world around you would look like if you were saying, I'm a person that is gonna speak life and no death will flow out of my tongue. In fact, let me take it a step further. Can you imagine what your city would look like if the community of believers said, we're no longer gonna speak death over our city and over our net, we're gonna speak life. And I'm not talking about just refusing to complain about traffic or the fog, although that might be a really great idea for some of you. I'm talking about the life that we read about in scripture. I'm talking about Isaiah 62, which is the scripture that God gave our church before we ever started this thing out, where he said, no longer is this gonna be called the forsaken city. We're not gonna speak about the problems that face San Francisco all the time and the crime and the violence and the politics and the perversion. No, we're gonna speak to her potential. She is a desirable place. She is the righteousness of God. She is the beautiful city set apart, the bride of the Holy One. 
No longer will she be forsaken, but world leaders will speak about the righteousness of the city of San Francisco, about the move of God that's taking place in that city. Mark my words, God's not done with this city. I'm grateful for what he did in the past and the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, but he saves the best wine for last. There is more coming. There are more salvations and healings and restoration. This city is yet to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will be historic in nature. And my God, it better happen because I'm not here to do church for 35 years and retire. I'm here to see a move of God in our city that transforms every valley, every mountaintop, every street, every avenue, every life. Because God's not done. But listen, if we're gonna be those people, we gotta have a changed heart. We gotta have the heart of God for this city. So, here's how we're gonna pray today. You can stay standing, you can sit down, you can roll over, I don't know, do whatever you wanna do. We're not gonna pray that God would change our speech, we're gonna pray that God would change our hearts today. I'm a little old school. I think that spiritual realities can shift in a moment. And you might have some stuff in your heart that's a little jacked up today. I believe in one moment, God can take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. I believe that what happens right now in the next 30 seconds can transform the way you speak when you walk out of this room today and ultimately transform the realities of your life as a result. Why don't you lift your hands towards heaven? Let's, let's pray. Holy Spirit, as the old song says, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're not in the business of only taking possession of aspects of our life and micromanaging how they work. You're, you're a God of all. You take control of all. So right now, we just even picture ourselves handing our hearts over to you. You have my heart. If there's areas that are calloused, would you begin to work them out and make them soft again? If we've grown cynical of the church, if we've grown to, to just doubt that you can ever do something in our lives or in our city and our faith has waned, would you instill a fresh faith in our hearts? If the call of God has gone dormant, would you breathe fresh life on those areas of our heart? God, as David prayed, would you cleanse us? Give me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. We receive this today so that we can be those who speak life. And maybe today as we're saying this, you'd be one in the room who would say, hey, I appreciate all that you're praying out, but you know, I don't know that God even has my heart. I'm a, I've been at a distance. Maybe I've never confessed him as Lord or made a decision to follow him. And I know that today the Holy Spirit is working on me and I need to get things right with God before I leave this place. I wanna pray with you before we go. In fact, why don't we just have everybody put your hands down for just a moment. And I wanna ask this simple question. If you're here today and you know that you need to get things right with God before you leave this room, would you quickly lift up your head and look at me so that I can pray with you? Yeah, I got you in the back. Yeah, right here, bro, awesome. Over here, yeah, right on both of y'all right there. Right here, bro, awesome. Yes, one, two, three, four, all you guys back there, that's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's what we're gonna do. I was convicted this last week because normally I would say right now, hey, I'm gonna invite you to pray along with me and you can pray in your heart or pray into your breath, but man, what we're talking about today is so important. If life and death are in the power of the tongue, then these should be words that are coming out of our mouths together. 
What does it say in Romans 10? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So here's what we're gonna do starting today and from now on. We're gonna pray this prayer of commitment all together as a church, along with those that are making this decision today. And I believe it's gonna be a powerful moment. So every voice in this room, let's lift this up. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. And I thank you for giving yours for mine. I confess you as Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to be your disciple and to follow you from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.